Hello and welcome to the Crossroads Church Podcast, where we desire to see a world transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ. If you have a story to share about how God is working in your life, you can send a message to info at mycrossroads.co. Now, let's get our hearts and minds ready for a powerful message from God's Word. Hey, good morning everybody at Crossroads. It is so good to see you again. My, my, you're looking fine. Now, this coming Thursday, there is a very special day that all of us are going to participate in, and that day is called Thanksgiving. At home, my wife has a little chalkboard, and she has a Thanksgiving message. It says, prepare to gobble till you wobble. (laughs) Certainly, Thanksgiving is a formalized way of doing something that we really need to be about each and every day, Thanksgiving for the gift of life, the gift of relationships of all that we have in this life, and the ability to know that each day brings potential and opportunity. One of the things I so look forward to when I have occasion to be with you is to be with you in this time of worship. Not my preaching time or teaching time, it's the worship time led by your magnificent worship team. Because my experience is that whenever I'm with you, without even knowing what my need might be, they seem to be honing in with gifts just for me. I credit that with sensitivity to the Holy Spirit and that when they are up here singing, I engage them because they are truly worshiping, not just presenting, not performing. They are worshiping and they are leading us to just kind of open ourselves up, empty ourselves out, and allow the infilling of God's Holy Spirit. And for that, I am grateful. Would you join me in giving thanks to God for your wonderful worship team? Thank you. Today, I want to begin by saying thank you to a very special group of folks. I have a friend who works with something called Project Healing Waters. It is a a group of folks that work with vets who have uh, PTSD. And they, they do this work through fly fishing. Now, I'm a fly fisherman. I didn't say I was a good one, but I'm a fly fisherman. And I enjoy it very much. I'm very peaceful when I'm out on the water stalking the fish and all of that, enjoying the beauty of creation. God and I have wonderful conversation. I told you I wasn't a very good fisherman, so I'm not disturbed by the fish biting very much. So God has access to me. This fellow who's 78 years old, who was a vet but didn't see combat, has been giving himself to these outings with vets, helping them to learn to fly fish, but just being available to them, to hear them if they want to talk about what has been or things that bother them or things they hope for. And one of the things that has just struck me in hearing these occasions when he'll debrief with me about a recent event is how much every single vet, whether they're in that Healing Waters program or a vet that served in just uh, military service, both combat and non-combative roles, is that all of them set aside their personal agendas. They gave up a measure of control in order to serve a purpose that was greater than themselves. They decided there was a bigger, a bigger dream, a bigger thing to follow, a bigger thing to give themselves to, and they took responsibility for playing their part in that. I want you to contrast that with something that happened not too long ago. There was a report on NPR radio 
about a party that was being held outside, a party that was held, it was a school dance, and outside the party, a young woman was being accosted by some guys. Now, a whole crowd of folks witnessed what was going on, but nobody stepped forward to render aid to that young woman. In fact, some of the people in the crowd were texting their friends to come and see what was happening. Some people took pictures not to turn in the perpetrators, but just for their own use to send to their friends. And I'm listening to this, and I'm almost wrecking my car. I can't keep it in the lane. I said, what in the world is going on in our world that something like this could go on and nobody would step forward, nobody would take responsibility to do something to make a difference? As a part of that report, they had a professor of psychology from a prestigious Eastern Coast University to come on and to say this phenomena is something in psychology that's known as diffused responsibility. That is to say, the larger the crowd, the less the individual sees the need to get involved. They've actually done studies on this, done studies on this. I don't know where they get the money to do this kind of thing. But researchers put a researcher on an elevator and waited for an unsuspecting subject to come. And when that person got on the elevator, they could control the doors and the elevator doors shut. The researcher would then casually drop a coin. When there was one person on that elevator, invariably that one person would help the researcher find that coin, help pick it up. But when you got as many as six people on the elevator, nobody moved. Nobody stepped forward. What was everybody's job became nobody's job. Diffused responsibility. Oh, let somebody else do it. Somebody else can handle that. I don't need to be involved in that. Well, Jesus had something to say about this concept of diffused responsibility. It's in our scripture today from Luke chapter 14. I think it's going to be up on the screen. There you go. All right. I'm going to read it. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even life itself, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Boy, that's a cheery little scripture, isn't it? Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, This person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go out to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? 
It is neither fit for soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Is that anybody's favorite passage of Scripture? Not my favorite passage of Scripture. You know, there are some things I wish Jesus hadn't said. This is one of them. Now, we're going to deal with this, and we're going to do it in a couple of different uh, parcels. The first is, it sounds so harsh, doesn't it? If anyone comes to me and does not hate father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even life itself, such a person cannot be my disciple. Now, what Jesus is doing in this is a very respected Jewish tradition in teaching. It is the use of hyperbole. Hyperbole. It's a wonderful word. Hyperbole. It means exaggeration to make a point. It is exaggeration not to de-emphasize, but to emphasize the importance of what has just been said. I had a friend who uh, back during uh, when gas prices were just outrageous, I think they're outrageous now, but they were particularly outrageous, like $3.65 a gallon. And he has a GMC 3500 heavy-duty truck. The gas tank holds 34 gallons. During that time, he said to me, I was going to fill my truck up, but the bank wouldn't give me money for a second mortgage. Now, I knew he was using hyperbole, but he was underscoring a point. Hyperbole. You and I are often want to do that kind of thing. Jesus is underscoring the importance of opening oneself up and fully committing, fully embracing God's kingdom. You remember the disciples came one time and said, Lord, you know, we've given up a lot to follow you. We've given up this, we've given up that, we've given up the other. And Jesus said, I tell you first, seek first the kingdom of God and all of these other things will be added unto you. He was not saying those other things were not important. He was saying they cannot take first priority. If the first priority becomes God's kingdom, your participation in it, your proclamation of it, your invitation to it, then those things that heretofore have mattered most will be put in their proper place and perhaps even enhanced because you are embracing the broader vision of God's kingdom and what that does for you and does to you as well as through you as a follower of Jesus. Jesus is very clear about this. There was another time he drew a, a line in the sand and he, he had this tough teaching and it says many people fell away and he turns to his disciples there in John chapter 6 verse 66 and says will you too fall away? And the 12 disciples say where shall we go? Because you have the words of life. You see, friends, it really is about two kingdoms, my kingdom and God's kingdom, your kingdom and God's kingdom. Now, that's not an altogether a bad thing because in the opening pages of Genesis, we find there Adam and Eve in that wonderful garden and God saying, let's give them dominion over the earth. It is the invitation that God wants humanity to be involved in building a kingdom under the auspices of God's authority, God's direction, what God values. 
And Adam and Eve are invited to be a part of that, participants within it, and the beneficiaries of that. But you and I know the consequences of the fall. And the fall says, I begin to see it all as my kingdom. And the truth is, my kingdom gets pretty yucked up. It's messed up. I get rebellious and say yes to mine, no to God's. And in doing so, I become even more possessive of my own kingdom. And I begin to treasure my kingdom above all else. And Jesus is trying to break through the hardness of their hearts and minds, saying, look, this is absolutely non-negotiable. Either you step forward, you embrace the kingdom in its entirety, you order your life toward it, or you'll end up having no part of it. And that means the blessing and the benefit that comes from yielding ourselves to God's authority over our kingdoms and allowing God's kingdom to have full reign in our lives. One of my favorite theologians is Dr. Seuss. Anybody ever read Dr. Seuss? Isn't he wonderful? He wrote a book, I'm going to put it up on the screen, called Yertle the Turtle. And it's really a parody about our kingdoms. Yertle was king of the pond. Yertle was king of them all, and he decided the kingdom he ruled was too small. I'm ruler, said Yertle, of all that I see, but I don't see enough. That's the trouble with me. So Yertle sent out a decree for all the turtles of the pond to come and stack themselves up on top of each other with Yertle on the very top so his throne would be raised to higher and higher levels. Then Yertle the turtle was perched up so high he could see 40 miles from his throne in the sky. Hooray, shouted Yertle, I'm king of the trees, king of the birds, king of the bees, king of the butterflies, king of the air. Ah, me, what a throne, what a wonderful chair. I'm Yertle the turtle, oh marvelous me, for I am the ruler of all that I see. But then an amazing thing happened. It was just an ordinary thing. A little turtle toward the bottom of the pile burped. And when he burped, it sent a shudder through the whole stack of turtles until the whole thing crumbled and fell. And today, great Yertle, that marvelous he, is king of the mud. That's all he can see. Friends, that's what happens to our kingdoms, given enough time. It happens to those that are MVPs, most valuable players. Somebody else takes their place. It happens to CEOs of major companies and major banks. It happens to folks like you and me, even as we grasp and try to hold on to our kingdom at all costs. Jesus says there's another kingdom. There's another kingdom that's worth you're yielding. There's another kingdom worth your embracing. But if you don't put it at the highest priority, you're going to miss its blessing and its benefit. Jesus taught and he brought that new kingdom, and we pray about it. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how many of you uh, say this on a regular basis. It's called the Lord's Prayer. You remember the disciples came to Jesus one day and said, we want you to do something for us. 
we want you to teach us something. And they didn't ask him to teach them how to do miracles, feed 5,000 people, heal broken limbs, restore sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf. They said, teach us to pray. They saw the power of prayer in Jesus' life as he would steal away to have time with a loving Heavenly Father, as they would see him in prayer and experience the rejuvenation and the renewal and the empowerment that Jesus received in prayer. They said, teach us to pray. And he said, when you pray, pray this way. Our Father, who art in heaven, thy what? Kingdom come. Thy what? will be done where on earth as it is in heaven now i want you to think about how dangerous that prayer is whenever we pray that prayer we are saying god we want what's up there to come down here and we want to be the locus of that in whatever whatever sphere we live we want god's kingdom to be manifest in us and through us for the world so if we pray that prayer lightly, if we simply let the words trip off our tongue, we are doing a great disservice to the invitation that prayer offers for the Holy Spirit's power to come into our lives, to energize us, to convict, confront, to send. Jesus said, when you pray, pray that way. Now here's my confession. I want the kingdom of God, and I want the kingdom of God in my life, but I kind of want it to be like a sunroom edition. I'd like for it to just be added on to my current house, my current kingdom. I want to be able to step into my sunroom, enjoy the light. Oh, my goodness. I can enjoy worship here. I can enjoy all of the benefits of the kingdom here. But then I can step out and shut the door. And then like Yertle, I am the ruler of all that I see. The only difficulty with that is it's not biblical. It's contrary to scriptures. Because the scriptures declare God's kingdom is all-encompassing. And if I move into God's kingdom, I yield then to that kingdom authority over all that I am and all that I have. You see, I think another disservice we've done to ourselves is when we think that accepting Christ as our Savior is all there is to it. Because the truth is, unless he is both the forgiver of my life and the leader of my life, I cannot fully participate in the kingdom. You see, if God was interested only, just only, in saving me from my sins, why in the world would he leave us hanging around here after we accept Christ because we could just mess everything up? He ought to just say, beam them up, Scotty, before they mess this thing up. Just get them out of there. But instead, our saving is both from and for. It is from the destructiveness of our carnal nature, and it is for participation in the kingdom, both living within it, the proclaiming of it, and the inviting to it for those in the world who are not yet home.
That's God's kingdom at its best. You remember over in Luke chapter 4, in his first proclamation in the synagogue, Jesus said, I've come to preach good news to the poor, release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind. It means that our purpose is to live life in the kingdom in responsiveness to what Christ has done and we doing the things that Christ has done. Over in Matthew 28, 19, 20, he says, these are your marching orders. And you see a portion of that every time you're in this worship space. It's right there on the back of the wall. It says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus is saying, someday you're going to live up there. But until you live up there, you're living down here. And this is how I want you to do it. The first thing he says is go. It is an active word. I want you to go. You are not saved to sit on a shelf. You are saved in order to go forth and be that bearer of good news, to be an emissary of God's kingdom with an invitation of life and hope to others. Go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you until the end of of the age. Now that's important because you see, we follow Jesus. We follow Jesus. We don't just follow his teachings. We don't just model his example. We follow him in a dynamic, living, spiritual relationship. He says, Lo, I am with you. Not my teachings, not my example. I am with you. I am present with you that you may you may be, be victorious where you cannot possibly be victorious, where you can be courageous, where otherwise you will cower in fear. I am with you so that you can be bold and courageous. And Jesus seems to indicate that all of this starts with a decision. And the decision is, say yes to him as Savior. Yes to him as Lord. And then begin ordering your steps toward God's kingdom. Now we have great spiritual evidence of that. Over in James chapter 1 verse 8 it says, The double-minded person is unstable in all their ways. Jesus said over in Luke chapter 9 verse 62, Anyone who puts his hand to the plow and looks back, is not fit for the kingdom of God. What do you mean by that? I have a friend who's an excellent golfer. I mean, he hits that ball straight and true down the fairway just about all the time. But occasionally, he'll block a shot and he'll push it off to the right. And I'm with him one day out there on the golf course and he hits a beauty. It is long and wrong. It goes into the woods. Now, he's a guy that always plays by the rules. So he goes into the woods, and he finds that ball. He doesn't improve his line. And he looks, and there is a small opening amidst all of this multitude of trees, a small opening, and he lines himself up and takes a mighty swing and hits a tiger wood at his best kind of shot. That thing rockets through that opening. It's got some fade on it, so it's actually curving around toward the green. And my friend starts walking, trying to follow the path of the ball. And he is walking this way while he's looking that way, and he runs headfirst into a tree. 
the tree shook and he bounced. And when I saw he hadn't killed himself, I started laughing. And I giggled the rest of the round. The tree died, by the way, which is testament to his hard head. You see, Jesus says, nothing good ever happens when you're walking one way and you're looking the other. Full focus, right direction. So friends, how can we live more fully into the kingdom? Most of us are not superstars. We're not going to be in the national eye. We're not going to be profound writers or theologians. We're going to be fellow pilgrims on the journey with others who are like us. So how can we be at our best as representatives of the kingdom? And I simply want to offer a couple of things. And the one thing I want to offer to begin with is never underestimate the power of your influence. Everybody has a measure of influence. And the influence does not have to be totally altogether, totally mature as a Christian, but you have a measure of influence that God can use. Uh, my father-in-law was Herb Penry. He was a Methodist preacher, and he used to love to tell the story of when he was a boy, and they'd make lemonade at his house when they were having family reunions. And the way they made lemonade was that they would take lemons and they'd cut them up and they'd just squeeze them, squeeze them into a galvanized wash tub that held about 20 gallons of water or more. They'd just squeeze lemons. And he said, if you took a little taste of that, it'd just pucker you. But then his mama, he remembered, would take a five-pound pack of sugar, which never weighed five pounds, he said, but she'd open it up and she would pour the sugar into that wash tub. And that sugar would flow in, it would dissolve. You could, no longer, you could no longer weigh the sugar when it became a part of the flow and the fabric of that lemonade. And it changed the character of the lemonade. That which would pucker you before became a refreshing drink. Don't ever estimate the power of your influence for good. Now this is... This story is, I don't like this story, but it makes an important point. Uh, are any of you ever, are any of you old enough to remember the name of Arthur Godfrey? He was a radio personality in the 1950s, early 1950s, and every, every generation has what we call novelty songs, the novelty songs. We have them in every generation. There was one called, Does Your, uh, Does Your Chewing Gum Lose, Lose Its Flavor on the Bedpost Overnight? Or The One-Eyed, One-Horned, Flying Purple People Eater. I mean, we have novelty songs. Well, Arthur Godfrey came up with a novelty song that was just awful. It was very popular for at least a brief time, and this true story occurred in New York City. As two men who had been on a bar crawl and had reached the stage in the bar crawl where they were literally just about crawling on the sidewalk, and they got onto a bus. And as they sat there on the bus, the bus was kind of quiet, they decided everybody ought to be entertained, and they started singing this Arthur Godfrey song. And the song went, 
slap her down again, Paul, slap her down again, make her tell us where, Paul, make her tell us where she's been. We don't want our neighbors talking about our kin. Slap her down again, Paul, slap her down again. And one of the fellows on the bus said, oh my goodness, what in this world? I gotta do something about this. And they just kept singing it over and over again. And finally, when they paused to take a breath, this guy started singing Sweet Hour of Prayer. And as he sang it, somebody on the bus said, Sing the second verse, and I'll join you. And that person began singing. Before long, the story goes, that whole bus, including the two drunk guys, were singing Sweet Hour of Prayer. And a great revival broke out on the bus because one man dared to change the tune. Friends, God's kingdom promises. God's kingdom promises life. God's kingdom promises forgiveness. God's kingdom promises healing. God's kingdom promises eternity. Each and every one of us has a song to sing. Each and every one of us has a measure of influence. And I pray, I invite, I conjole, I urge that each and every one of you be willing to sing the song God has given you as a person who is embracing God's kingdom. Not home yet, not fully yielded yet, but sharing where you are what you have that he may be made known would you pray with me God I'm so thankful for the folks in this loving faith community I am grateful for their lives and I know their lives are filled with challenge it is not easy being a faithful person particularly in this day and age and the culture in which we live so I pray for their courage but I also pray for their relinquishment that they will allow themselves to hold lightly things of their kingdom, that they may have room to embrace the larger kingdom, the loving kingdom of the risen Lord. God, grant us courage to be people of great faith, to dare to change the tune in whatever ways we can, knowing that we have the power to bless or distress through our influence. In the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Friends, as we sing, I would just invite you as the Spirit leads you to just come and stand or kneel, whatever God wants you to do, and you can do it right where you, you're seated right now if you want, but you can also do it coming forward, just saying, Lord, I want your kingdom more than mine. Take me where I am, lead me where you will, and as best I can, I'll follow you. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Crossroads Church Podcast. If you would like to listen to past Crossroads Church Podcast, you can go to mycrossroads.co slash podcast. Once again, thanks for listening.